0: Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Chris Cooper of Two Brain Business makes gyms profitable. He and his team of mentors have proven concepts for overcoming the common downfalls of many businesses. Those issues include how many members are necessary to make a gym profitable, how to retain good staff and rid yourself of that riffraff, and how best to spend your time as a business owner. Can you really say you're dedicated to the forward momentum of your business if you find yourself spending most of your time mopping the floors? Explore how best to develop grow your existing project business. This is episode 275. Music
1: blasting
2: in
0: my
1: ear, Boy. Do you know what time it is?
2: It's Power, Power Athlete Radio, Radio Time time <laughs> time.
1: Power Athlete Nation. This is Luke. I'm joined with Tex mcquoken we are going to bring you another episode of the premier podcast in strength and, and conditioning. conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. Ing. That's right. It's power athlete radio time. Before we get going with our guest, we're going to be talking a little bit of gym business. We're going to have we have a couple of public service announcements for you. All right. Don't you dare hit that plus 30 seconds. You listen to me. It's very important. And if you if you keep fast forwarding, I'm just going to keep holding the silence until you jump back in. And we're going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. People. It is Wade's Army fundraising season.
2: Oh, it is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, Wade's Army fundraising season, and we are in full steam ahead.
1: Yeah, that's right. It is fundraising time. Tex is going to wax his body if he gets 20 grand donated to his page. Yeah, his whole body live. And you're going to wonder. Hey, live. We're yeah, not doing it on. live. Hang on. I'm telling you some details that may or may not be true. Live. Waxing at the Power Athlete Symposium, oh god, which is a three-day speaker event out here in Austin, Texas, December seventh, eighth, and 9th. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna tie, we're gonna tie his arms up and his legs up, and we're gonna strip all of his clothes off. And he's gonna be tied up like between two vertical pillars, and like just standing there, floating, levitating on stage with spotlights. Uh, George Michael's gonna be playing. Uh, what's that song with the saxophone?
2: Just get to our and speaker lineup. No,
1: no, this is how it's going to go down. And we're going to sl- slop up a ton of wax on them, and God. all we're going to have each we're going to have 300 strips of of wax paper or whatever they call it on his body. And each audience member gets to walk <laughs> up and grab a strap, of, uh, a length of it, and. Peel off just a little bit of Texas body hair, and you get to take that piece of wax hair stuff home with you as a souvenir. It's going to be amazing. But first, ladies and gentlemen, we need to raise $20,000 on Tex McQuilkin's fundraising page. Yeah, give.classy.org
2: slash T-E-X.
1: And it goes to a greater cause, people. Wade's Army is a 501c3 charity that we at Power Athlete support wholeheartedly. We're part of the, the board. We get to assure where these funds go. It is, it is legit, people. So you have the opportunity to not only donate, but you can fundraise on our behalf, mm-hmm. right? So tell us a little bit about Wade's, text.
2: So this year we're going for four. Different initiatives and we encourage you to become a fundraiser so rather than just donating the $35 for a t-shirt now you have the opportunity to become a fundraiser and then select which initiative you would like to to champion so we have our neuroblastoma research initiative we are working with solving kids cancers we have committed over a hundred thousand dollars over the next three years to be given to them and this is going to be a grant so if you want to learn more about this grant wadesarmy.org and so we're looking for potential different trials people are going to give their presentations and then we get to decide which is the best opportunity to find out either cure cause more information about neuroblastoma but we get to pick the grant winner then we have our neuroblastoma family fund so our community connects us with neuroblastoma families, and we ask them what they need, and we're able to provide direct financial assistance for whatever it is. We bought in a minivan in the past. We provided fuel, food, lost wages from work because they had to stay with their child in treatment, all different opportunities that we provided. And then now we're going to build a, a nutrition center at children's, Cincinnati Children's Hospital for the pediatric cancer wing. So whether it's a smoothie bar, whether it's a, a kind of vegetable kitchen, something because of the direct correlation between nutrition, the immune system, we know it's there. So we need to start educating parents and children's in the fight, how to cook, how to prepare foods versus being forced to eat the hospital foods during treatment, which ain't helping. So you select your initiative, what you want to fundraise for, And so that is give.classy.org slash Wade, W-A-D-E. And if you just want to donate, donate to my page. And
1: And then you can come to the Power Athlete Symposium and get your souvenir wax pad with Texas body hair on it. I know I'm going to have mine, people. And we're going to put it right on the fireplace mantle. And we're going to have all sorts of nice lighting for our little Tex wax paper. Yeah. And another way you can support folks is... If you are interested, if you are strength conditioning professional, enthusiast, if you're an athlete, if you just like the shit that we put out, if you enjoy this podcast, then you should strongly consider hitting up events.powerathletehq.com. Read about the Power Athlete Symposium, the premier strength and conditioning slash lifestyle slash leadership speaker experience in Austin in December on the 7th, 8th, and 9th of this year. Uh, I want to announce a guest. We have Dr. Kara Miller, who's going to be speaking and attending that event. She's a developmental coach to leaders and transformation consultant to organizations. If you want to get a feel for what her panache is all about, we had her on the Power Athlete Radio, episode 248, and she fucking broke me and text down. And that's exactly what she's going to do for you live. Is she's going to take you through the transformation process of a high performer right there 's something unique about some of the folks that we have on on the podcast at times right they 're either highly accomplished athletes or professionals, and the way that those dudes are wired it is hard to drive transformation it 's hard to broaden perspective and she 's going to show you this toolkit live in front of the whole audience with with a very special guest who is going to participate in that so it 's going to be fucking epic people. you need to check it out get to wade 's army. Get to the Power Athlete Symposium page. Don't be a turkey. Don't just sit there. Get your tickets now, all right? It's going down. It's going to be epic. Now, speaking of epic, why don't we get onto the show for our lovely listeners? What do you say, Tex?
2: Ready, ready. Listo, listos.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's who we have today. We have Mr. Chris Cooper. Uh, Chris, uh, how do we link up with Chris again?
2: He, author of a, a, a book, Two Brain Business, and Jeff Smith, canon CrossFit out of Houston, just a, a mutual friend. And we wanted to learn more about business side right, of things. Right. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we, we offer
1: guidance on training, programming, developing athletes. But alongside that, there is, this, there is this lane that a lot of gym owners and a lot of coaches are forced to drive in, which is this business administration, right? Running a business. So Chris has switched on with this. And uh, Mr. Cooper is going to teach us what the fuck we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we could be doing better, and it's the type of feedback and information that if you were an entrepreneur, even outside of the gym business, hopefully you can draw the connections and conclusions that we did to help better your business practices. So without further ado, people, let's get to it. Chris Cooper. Thanks for jumping on the show. And why don't you give anyone who may not have uh, be familiar with your background, why don't you give us a little little update? What's going on?
3: Yeah. Do you want to hear the full story, Luke? Or yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's go.
1: It's your show. We just sit here and, and then eventually like I'll make fun of Chris and then he'll, or text, he'll make fun of me and then we'll get back to you. <laughs> like that's basically the dynamic of the show. It doesn't really stray beyond
3: that. Oh, perfect. Okay. So I should just set you up then. Ah. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, um, I started coaching in 1996, uh, opened a gym in 2005 because I didn't think I could make a living any other way in fitness. Um, you know, I was working maybe 12, 13 straight hours a day, training clients and earning about 23,000 a year. Um, so open up a gym so that I could, you know, buy groceries for my family and pay my mortgage.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, three years in, we decided to open a second location, which was a CrossFit gym, uh, that almost bankrupted me. And, um, about a year after that, I was kind of forced into mentorship. So, um, We were practically bankrupt. You know, I was really asking myself, can I do this? Can I make a career in fitness? And a friend of mine said, like, there's this local mentor. He's taking five local business owners. Uh, I can get you in. So I wrote this guy a check for 500 bucks that should have bounced. And I justified it by writing down everything that he told me on a blog called don'tbuyads.com. After about three years of daily blogging on that site, as I kind of learned and like unfucked my gym. Uh, can I say that on this show? Totally. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, I got invited to speak at this, this uh, seminar down in Fort Lauderdale, you know, and maybe 120 people were reading the blog a day, you know, with gusts up to like 300 at that point, Uh, CrossFit HQ was starting to publish this stuff, but like, I was still saying I'm failing, I'm struggling a lot. So they weren't, they weren't super jacked about it at that point. And then um, I decided I was going to go down and do this seminar Ben Bergeron was also doing the seminar, uh, Forrest Walden from Iron Tribe was doing the seminar. I knew that they would show up with like playbooks and professional looking materials that I really couldn't afford to make. So instead of, you know, taking my top 10 blog articles, shipping them to Kinko's and printing them off or printing them off my, my local printer and then carrying them all the way to Florida, I found out that it'd be cheaper to self publish a book and have those things ship for about four bucks a copy. And, um, so I, I took like the top 20 blog posts from Don't Buy Ads, turned that into a book called Two Brain Business, and that's the best-selling fitness business book of all time. Yeah,
1: that's, that's great.
2: But let's, let's get into it. What were are some of those bullet points from the, the blog posts that were so revolutionary that people weren't doing or picking up on intuitively?
3: Well, so keep in mind that the book was published between 2011 and 2012. So a lot of the problems that were really common back then have been solved for most gym owners now. You know, underpricing ourselves. Everybody now understands that you have to be able to make a living. What most people don't understand yet is that um, you need to be able to make a good living off about 150 clients instead of trying to chase that 300 client horizon that you're never going to reach, and you're going to waste all of your time and energy and money chasing that um there were a couple of other things too like i was offering discounts like every everywhere you looked um i was working about 15 hours a day in my business instead of on my business i was doing every job myself you know i was cleaning the floors which meant that i didn't have any time or energy to do the stuff that would actually move the needle um You know, I was really worried about how do I get the next five members instead of how do I keep this very important member around? And I, I I blew through some amazing members before I figured that out. Um, I didn't understand how to actually motivate staff and how to keep them long term. So I wasted about $170,000 hiring and firing staff because I didn't tell them what to do very well, you know? So every mistake in the book is in two brain business, the original, and then two brand business 2.0 was more of the flip side of that. Like here's what to do step by step. And that, that book is really growing in popularity. Um, CrossFit HQ actually pushes it a lot. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah, and I, you know, I have friends that are, I, I call it a life cycle. They're early in the life cycle of their, the CrossFit journey. Right. And that goes yeah. from being a CrossFit gym member, you know, getting a new friend PR then, mm-hmm apprentice coaching then opening a gym and you got it all fucking figured out right and you know it's just it's funny because you're it's just you're so young like you know and i try to point and drive the discussion to certain things that you've brought up that are just like common like lessons learned right common lessons learned by the new gym owner um but with that said Have you found that some of this stuff maps outside of the gym space as well? I mean, it's all it is is a small boutique business, right? And uh, it's client, it's, I guess, service as a product and client based. So, fuck, man, it could even work for a barbershop, right? I mean, some of these principles.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, when we founded twobrainbusiness.com in 2016, we were, you know, very focused on the gym industry because that's what we knew. But what's happened over the last two years is people have started emailing and saying, I'm an attorney. I invested in this gym. I saw what happened with the gym and my practice isn't making any money. You know, if I had known this 20 years ago, I'd be retired by now. Um, That started happening uh, within the last 12 months. And last week, you know, we signed up. um, There's a tire store from Houston and a chocolatier from New Jersey. And the exact same principles apply you know, and I think like what we're really doing is we're taking all these big ideas that you're reading about in all these books and just breaking it down into a step-by-step process, you know, and that's, what's appealing to them.
2: Nice. We got any questions for them? Yes, we do. So a lot of our, our coaches in our block one network, they are business owners, small gym owners. And so I asked them for some questions to help kind of guide this conversation. And first one, as you mentioned, one of the, blog post that you had in your original book. And Carl Case asks, what is an intelligent way for a gym owner to go about setting their prices for their memberships?
3: Yeah. Hey, Carl. So there's a couple of different factors here. The first thing that we need to do is we need to assume that you're going to have to make a living off of 150 people. Okay. So this is like an anthropological number called Dunbar's number, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into the boring part there. If you wind up getting 220 members, beautiful. But you want to start by saying, here's what I need to have a good life as an entrepreneur. I need to make $100,000 a year. I need to own my home. I need to have two or three acres to like make a hockey ring for my kids. And then you say, if I'm going to do this with 150 members, who are those members? What do they want? So I know like... Okay, 60% of those members are going to want group fitness training. 20% are going to want something a little bit more, maybe one-on-one, maybe some nutrition coaching. And 20% of those people are just going to kind of be transient. You know, they're going to rotate every year. So I'm going to assume an 80% retention rate. And um, we don't want to get into a a math lecture here. But from there, you have to say, okay, so I've got 150 clients. I know that my goal in the service industry is a 33% profit margin. So I need to figure out exactly what rate I need to charge that will cover all my fixed costs, cover my staffing costs, leave me with 33% uh, off 150 clients. Okay. And that's, that's about as deep as we can get without a whiteboard here, I think. Right. Yeah. And if you wind up getting more clients like I have, then perfect. Then you kind of scale up to the next phase of entrepreneurship. You let somebody else run your gym. And uh, you're basically retired. Your gym can turn into a cash flow asset and just pay you while you ride your bike, which is what I spent all morning doing. <laughs>
1: there you go, man.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. And then pricing is such an interesting, uh, interesting component of business, right? Because there is a psychology to it as well, right? There's a sure. fine line between sticker shock and perceived value. Um, how can you justify your price point? And you know. I guess that one fifty these are good starting points, but I've always dreamed of the if I if I were ever thrown back in the ring, I guess, running of having to run a gym. My mindset is more around boutique service, high value, high value, high dollar, low, low, um, I guess, low client base, ideally building like a weightless model. You know what I mean? And exclusivity. I, I think that there could be a market for that. Now, I don't know that everyone could pull it off. Right. You have to also be in the right area right you know if you 're let's say southern Nebraska, no one 's going to pop on a fucking uh wait list for uh, a a gym right, but uh, I think if you get into like a nice urban area and you could you could demand that and i I just think that that but then what you talk about there is like you're you're putting yourself in as the primary cog in that operation potentially. <laughs> Right. So now it it doesn't become something that you can sell off. It becomes more of a lifestyle project where you get to have a small population of people that you and if let's say you have a wait list and you're, I guess, uh, qualified enough or, you know, you sell a product well enough to that you get a wait list. You can build the community that you want to be a part of, because I feel like what happens in this industry is people just get people into their gym that burn them fucking out. They, you know, some of your clients burn you out and you're you're not at that. You haven't done the calculation. Maybe you're not priced correctly or maybe you're just over... Your your gym is too much. You've taken off more than you can chew in terms of the cost base, variable and fixed. But now you got to fucking put up with, you know, Jimmy Asshole five days a week who happens to be mm-hmm. like one of your most frequent members, but he's just a fucking vampire of energy, right? So now <laughs> yeah. So it's like th- that balance. I think uh, is what we see a lot of people burn out with, right? We have folks come to the ranch and they look at this, th- what we have here, and you know, it's it's our studio space. It's not we, we don't have members, and th- but they'll ask like, oh, what's your, you know, how many, you know, how many class? No, no, we don't do any of that. We don't have we have no classes. We have no members. Private gym. And they're like, man, you're living the dream. Yeah, owning a gym with no members, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's folks. There's folks who like who just are struggling with that membership base, but uh, you know I don't know if that's as much a business problem as it is a culture problem, right?
3: It might be. It, it might also be a mindset problem, Luke. Like um, you know, most of us when we open our business, like we're terrified. Everything it depends on success, and so that the overriding emotion behind our business in the founder phase is is fear. So we're willing to put up with a lot of shit you know, we're willing to take one bad client, you know, we're willing to like walk with one little pebble in our shoe. And then over time, we kind of become accustomed to that pebble and we start to limp a little bit and that becomes our normal gait. And then when you're trying to go fast, uh, before you know it, you know, like you need a full hip replacement before your business can really take off. And, you know, some of the best surgeons in the fitness business work with me at Two Brain. But if we have to get rid of a client who's on a discounted rate, they're a pain in your ass and they've been with you for 10 years, that's painful. Yeah, if, we have to get, if we have to filter at intake and keep the bad clients out right at the door, that's pretty easy. That's just taking the pebble out of your shoe. You know, so, um, you know, Brian Strump is a great example. He's a mentor with us this guy is charging over a thousand dollars a month for some of his memberships at CrossFit steel Creek. He's in Charlotte. There are 12 other CrossFit gyms and 20 similar gyms charging about 90 bucks a month. Why is that? Because Brian doesn't focus on that bottom 20% who are going to be transient anyway. He focuses on only the people who are willing to pay eight or 900 bucks a month.
1: There you go. Price tolerance techs. I'm learning. Um,
2: you talk yeah. about a founder phase, Chris. What other phases? I guess can you walk us through the phase? Like Luke talked about the life cycle uh, that his friends are working through. Can you talk about mm-hmm. the phases that you've witnessed in your experience?
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, so um, in our experience, and you know, I've been mentoring for uh, about seven years now, and worked with over two thousand entrepreneurs, and in general as I look through our data and our discussions, we found there are four phases to entrepreneurship. So there's the founder phase where you're just trying to break even. You're working 60 to 70 hours a week. You're doing everything by yourself. There's the farmer phase where you're trying to kind of diversify, uh, trying to add some staff who can make like a meaningful career, trying to get down to about 40 hours a week. And then there's the tinker phase, which is, your business runs itself, it's a cash flow asset, you can spend your time coaching if you want to, or you can ride your bike like I do. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's the thief phase where uh, basically, you know, you've got multiple assets and you're just connecting businesses and um, donating your money. Yeah.
2: Luke and, I guess Luke and I managed a gym, well, not owners, but managed a gym, and we had very different experiences. I guess uh, Callie and I's gym was very, I guess the culture was set with the members, but it was a, a hardworking, kind of fun culture, and then maybe it was just California. When I visited Luke's gym, it was a yeah. little bit different.
1: Well, we were in the heart of Newport Beach, which is, mm. I guess, one of the more self-centered areas in the country, and... It's just a different vibe. I mean, you had great members, but something about the, the dynamic of that that population. I mean, there was people there we loved, you know, like and that are friends for life, you know, but then
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know, just something about it. You couldn't fucking, you couldn't light, you couldn't get to that next step. And I don't know if it was, we had full-time coaches as well. You know, it was, it wasn't a coaching thing, I don't believe, but uh, also, you know, we had what was on the other end of that too, is we were, we were. I guess there was a spark that was power athlete at the time. And it was this CrossFit football seminar. And a lot of us had a lot of hours, you know, already sunk into that. Call it 40 hours a week traveling and preparing and reviewing for this seminar. And then you got to come back and coach another 30, 20 to 30 hours. Like, man, I'll tell you what. Yeah. You come in, you fly in from fucking Columbia of red eye in, on Sunday, <laughs> like coming in Monday morning, you got to coach a Monday five PM class. You're a, a, a zombie from teaching all weekend, you know. And then on top of that, what I think was crippling us a bit as well is, as the key staff members would travel for these seminars. I think there is a community component to bring this to bring the membership together into the, um, like a well oiled unit, right? And that a lot of that those activities occur on the weekends, but we're traveling every weekend, right? So now there's. It just there's a couple things that we couldn't we just we didn't do correctly, um, but then also mixed with just the psychographic of that area, it just created like this. I don't know, just it, it, there was a contempt built among coaches, you know, uh, not with one another, but with just the inability to get this thing fucking up to the like shifting
2: into second gear. You know what I mean? So, uh, but let's stick with community. So there is no doubt, I guess, community is a big part of this micro gym kind of boom. So, Chris, what kind of guidance do you give people under your mentors that are looking to establish a community that will help really, you know, keep those 20 percent, that top 20 percent involved and paying a grand
3: a month? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the hardest lesson that I've learned is that I am not my best client. You know, when I was running a personal training studio um, I couldn't afford my own service. And so I'd project that price bias onto people, right? So after screwing that up for a decade, I finally learned that you have to ask people what they want. And it turns out that a lot of people in our gym, you know, who are paying for like our ID program, which is one-on-one training, the reason they're choosing that might be their schedule, um, but they might also prefer to not come to Catalyst Pub crawl you know, and that's fine. The key is really like that. You have to identify who your top clients are, and then you have to ask them exactly what they want. Now, some of my top CrossFitting clients, they're going to come to every social event we do. That's cool. Um, And it makes them different from other clients, but it doesn't make them better or worse. So, what we typically do is we'll, we'll take, instead of polling everybody and trying to figure out what everybody wants, we'll take like five of the best clients individually for coffee. We'll ask them a few specific questions about their experience at Catalyst and what they want and what their biggest challenges are. And then we'll build our annual calendar around that. You know, if, if people at my gym say, by the way, I hate doing the CrossFit Open, then we'll stop doing the CrossFit Open. But it's a lot easier to sell a service that people are asking for than to try and figure out, you know, where what I want to sell is going to match what they're going to buy.
1: And I guess, oh, man, I'm trying to think back in my my general management career of a CrossFit gym. And if we ever had those discussions, it was more like, listen, motherfucker, you're going to get what I give you because I know better than you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot because a lot of the discussions we would have would be, With regard to program, like when people would question the programming, and I guess, um, which is indicative of perhaps a a larger issue at at, at hand, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we never, very rarely would we sit down, and and most of it would be like, what do you want out of the training versus what do you want out of the experience, right? And, yeah, might as well fucking ask.
3: That's a big part of it. I mean, the other thing, too, is um, a lot of us early on fell into this trap of how many people can I get in a group class? And then around us would sprout up all these other little micro gyms and they'd be selling group classes too. So from the outside looking in, it it looks like you're selling this commodity. Like we're all selling the exact same thing, but that guy's 10 bucks less. I can't tell the difference. I'm going to go to the cheaper guy. So what you have to do is keep meeting with these best clients at least every three to six months. Ask them, are you on track for your goals? If they're not, maybe they need a new prescription. Um, You know, one of our best clients every summer, she takes it off and we tell her to, and she rides her bike and runs and we see her at our 5k races and that's fine. Uh, But we know she'll be back in September. So I I think a big part of it is uh, really like, there's what you like to do. Don't project that onto everybody else, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: And, and and with regards to that, and as you're maybe seeking feedback and looking to I don't know if there's the right term, but diversify or modify your product or your service or your culture or your experience, uh, you know how, how do you sift through I guess you just got to segment your your members into who represents the tribe, right I was going to say, how do you sift through the bullshit, and how do you keep from jumping? to some sort of reaction, right? Like reactionary change versus like a, uh, something that may be superficial feedback.
3: So when I opened my second gym, I thought I wanna build a place where all my powerlifting friends can come and train and they're gonna be my best clients and they're gonna pay whatever I want because they're my friends and they're gonna be respectful. And they all turned out to be assholes and they all wanted a deal and they left a big mess and they caused all kinds of problems but that's what I liked. So it was very painful to get rid of them. And then finally, when I figured out that my best clients were these amazing women who wanted to lose weight, I said, okay, well, I should be focusing my service on how to help women lose weight, you know, and that's really where I started getting uh, a lot more successful. And it was the same with CrossFit. Like I was reading Mark Twight, you know, and I was like, Oh, we're all going to do fucking CrossFit football. That's going to be our programming. And it, I loved it, and my coaches loved it, and my members were like, "Who's Mark Twight? And what is why am I a football player now?" you know. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so as you as you went through and created the yeah. value the value bit for your members, how did you determine that those gals were your were your best members?
3: Yeah, so at the time, I mean, it was just happening by attrition, right? I was screwing up so fast that only the best members were left. (laughs) But um, the way that we teach other gyms to do it is is through an exercise that Mike McAllowitz came up with. It's very simple. You take a blank sheet of paper, you draw a vertical line down the center. On the top left, you put a dollar sign. On the top right, you put a smiley face. And you start by listing your top 10 clients by revenue. Piece of cake, right? You pull your report from whatever you're using, top 10 clients by revenue. Then you go over to the happy face side and you say top 10 clients by uh, how much they improve my mood, by how much energy they give me when they show up. And then you compare the two lists and you say which names appear on both. And those are your best clients, okay? So um, you need the people who are going to, to pay you, but also the people who are gonna feed you energy. You know, And, and you guys both brought up examples of, of vampires who like suck your energy. And you have to get rid of those people because if you don't, that's going to negatively impact every other person in the gym.
1: So so with that said, how can you help? I know there's coaches listening right now or small business owners who are like, but fuck, man, that's, you know, that's revenue. That's dollars in my pocket. Right. So how, how, how would you talk someone through that?
3: Yeah. So um, I use an example of, of a woman, I'm going to call her Violet. Um, Violet was a client who struggled with depression And even at that time, I was really interested in how the brain responds to exercise. And um, so I knew that I could help Violet. She would come in once a week. She was a personal training client. So she was paying two or three times as much as the average person. Um, And I would dread every second that I was with her. So she'd be in Tuesday at 11 o'clock. And all Monday, I'd be like, well, thank God, Violet's not coming in today. And then all Tuesday morning, I'd be like, oh, God, Violet's going to be here soon. And then the half hour would be emotionally exhausting. And then at noon on Tuesday, I'd just be so tired that the rest of, you know, my coaching for that day would suck. So as a coach, you have to realize, like, you have a responsibility to all clients to be near the top of your game or as close to it as you can be. And if somebody is sucking up 80% of your energy, um, they have to go for the good of everybody else. And I think a lot of the time we avoid those tough conversations because we lack an emotional reason to do the hard thing. But I think every small gym owner uh, is capable of doing that if we give them an emotional reason and not just a logical one to do it.
1: And then on the same token, um, is there a way to quantify or justify if you have a poison pill in your coaching staff? Because I know that's the same deal as well. Like, it sucks to fucking fire people. Like, members Ugh. is one thing, but to fire a coach who... You know, any, any advice, any insight, any chapter on poison pill coaches?
3: Yeah. So it's, it's the pebble in the shoe analogy, right? Like it's better to filter these people out. And this was, this was the big expensive lesson that I learned was you can have the best coach in the world on paper, but if they're a dick, um, then you got to get rid of them. So now we hire based entirely on personality and then we provide them all the training they'll ever need on kinesiology and, and movement and all that stuff, right? Um, but again, I didn't do that at first. So, what you have to do is create an objective way to measure how they're doing as a coach, because you can't just you can't just be like, "Oh, you came in today, you had bedhead, you're cranky, you're gone." You can't wait until you're mad. You have to create an evaluation that's based on what they agreed to do when they signed up. So when they signed up, here are the 10 things that you have to do as a class coach. Here are the 10 things that you have to do as a personal trainer. In three months, we're going to sit down. We're going to set that date in advance instead of waiting until I'm furious. And then we're going to go through these things. And we're going to say, on a scale of one to 10, did your classes start on time? On a scale of one to 10, did every person in every class get three minutes of your attention? Yes or no? On a scale of one to 10, et cetera. And uh, if somebody's, you know, you set your threshold, maybe it's a nine out of 10 or maybe it's a seven, but if somebody's not meeting that threshold, then it is your duty to your clients to move them, Mm -hmm. you know? And if they've been with you for a while, now it's surgery. We've been through this surgery. We can do it as quickly as possible, but there's still going to be some pain, you know?
2: Any experience with the reverse? So let's say a very motivated general manager or head coach, whatever you want to call that position, but then the owner starts to take away from the potential culture or experience. Say they are, you know, giving those buddy memberships away and the GM's trying to manage the, you know, manage the business as a business, but then the owner is...
1: Treating
3: it as like the boys' club.
2: Yeah. So how do you, any experience talking up versus being the owner kind of communicating down to your staff?
3: Oh, Tex, that is such an amazing question. And I don't think I've been asked that in an interview before. Um, so I'm going I'm to give kind of a dangerous answer here. Yeah. If, if you're the, as dangerous as business can get, this is it.
1: Um, if Burn that the, bitch down. Take that fucking pour gasoline all over that gym and you light a match <laughs> and you fucking run, right? Okay. No? Okay.
3: If, if you're the owner... And, um, you're treating this thing like a hobby and you have a driven GM, then you need to get the hell out of the way. And this happens a lot. You know, um, it happens to me. I am not the best coach in my gym anymore. And somebody had to tell me, you need to get the hell out of the way and let the good coaches do the coaching. I think Luke fired John. Oh
1: yeah. It was fucking three months in. And I'm like, Hey buddy, uh, you're out. He's like, what? <laughs> He's like, I got one class on the fucking schedule. It's Sunday. No one shows up. I'm like, Hmm. <laughs>
3: I mean, I just got fired from the sales role at Two Brain because we do free consultations four or five times every single day of people who want in. And uh, if I haven't had breakfast, nobody's getting in today, you know? <laughs> so, so it's really hard, though, to see that in yourself, right? Because your ego won't let you. And you think that you're a happy, bubbly person, but you're not. That For me, I had to have a mentor say, get the hell out of the way and let your staff do their job. If you're in the GM position, and this is where the talk gets dangerous because I just had this conversation, you're really going to have to ask yourself, can I make the career that I want to make working under this owner? And so we're going to come at that a couple of different ways. Number one, we're going to start with what do you want in life? And then we're going to break down the math and we're going to say, given your current situation, is there any possible way that you can reach that number or that time goal working in this gym? And the conversation that I just had was with a GM who actually owned a small share of the gym. The owner, uh, was a mid-level CrossFit regional athlete who wanted to go to the games and wanted to train for the games and bring his buddies in to train for the games for free. But they were pretty disruptive to the rest of the business. You know, you guys know exactly what I mean. And so this GM is saying, Hey, um, you're affecting my ability to make a living. You're affecting my ability to make this gym profitable. Um, you're, you're abdicating all this responsibility to me, but I can't, I can't do it. And that's exactly when the GMs quit and open their own gym. Cause the barrier to opening your own gym is almost zero. It's less than a car, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you're a GM in that situation, I think you should Talk to a mentor or at least do the math and ask yourself, uh, can I do this where I am? And if not, then go be an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that's maybe it's not a fine line. Maybe it's all perception because I do know I've had uh, owners. That I've I've mentored a bit, you know, either through friends or meeting them at seminars, and they'll have yeah. that that fu- that GM who has a fire under their ass, right? And it's just like, hey man, you know, you've been doing this for fucking six months. Slow down, like, hang on. Let's just we're, our, we're not synced up yet, right? So we're yeah, not right. we got to get. And this this might be you know go back to uh, filtering at the front, right? But th- just because they haven't really synced and linked or docked like docked and locked text, like they they're not on this this path yet of an owner who's maybe a distant owner and uh, you have a GM who's in the business each day. So it's like he's slow playing, slow playing. And then next thing you know, feathers get ruffled and fucking members are stolen. And, uh, you know, like the, 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 that whole story, right? Like where you have this exodus because of a uh, GM romances, a, a group of clients to come be their seed for opening the gym. And I'm yeah. curious, like, I, I mean, there, so that's advice to, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is get to advice to, Maybe general managers who think they've been do- they have this fucking utopian vision, like, and they have an owner who's stifling them. I think you just got to get on the same page and get in the cadence for like a, uh, I don't know, a collaborative effort to make sure that you are going in the same direction, right, and that visions are aligned. And it was because I know in a few scenarios, a couple guys out in like Southern California and down south, um, it was just like, hey, they weren't they were running at a different pace than their eager GM, right? Yeah. So, I mean, any advice on that front, any pontification, what do you got?
3: Yeah. So something that we're seeing more and more now in, you know, um, there are some gyms now that are very successful and the coaches have been grinding for, you know, the owners have been grinding for a decade. They're tired. They want to be done. So what they're doing is they're hiring a GM and they're saying like, okay, I want this person to have some skin in the game. I want them to keep growing. So they're giving them a share. So the owner has taken a decade of pain and missing kids baseball games and fighting with their wife to create this, this business that's effective. And then they're taking 10% of that and giving it to the, to the GM. And then it doesn't work. It never works. And they're saying, well, why? Like this guy's a shareholder. He owns part of my company and holy shit, he's screwing it up. And now I got to get sucked back in there. And what happens is a lot of everybody thinks that they want our job, right? the entrepreneur is, is romanced in media. Like people who don't own a business follow Gary Vaynerchuk and they're like, shit, that guy drives around in limos in a t-shirt says, you know, uses the F word like a comma and he's a gazillionaire. That's the life I want. They think they want our life, but they don't. And so as soon as that person actually becomes an entrepreneur and they have a bad month and they miss a paycheck, they think they got screwed. You know, Hey, the owner put me in this situation so that he could pay me less. Fuck that guy. You know? Um, so you, you have to be really, really careful of that. If you have a GM who's a crazy hard charger and you're smart enough to get out of the way and let them run your business and you get in that cadence that you're talking about, Luke, and you're a good team, but they want more and they say, Hey, I want to open my own gym. Honestly, the best thing that you can do is say, how can I own a share? Yeah, (laughs) How can I invest? And I guess,
1: but you you would be, you would have established a relationship, right? At that point where you know, like, and trust one another where this discussion becomes like a a growth opportunity rather than a separation, right? And I think that it all, this comes back to like fucking like almost everything. Is relationship building and, you know, maybe compromising at like you just have to get into a a dynamic with even your coach to athlete relationship. Right. If you're trying to influence somebody's decision making or behavior, you have to make sure that they're endeared to you, that you're not an asshole to them, that they trust you, that you've provided something for them and that you can provide more. And I think it's the same deal at that level as well. GM, to owner is if you can earn the trust of your owner. And you come in one day, and you're like, I want more. And they're gonna be like, well, I got nothing more for you. What are you thinking? And you're like, uh, I want to open a gym. I bet you that fucking owner would be like, all right, I'm in. What do you want yeah. from me? Can I help you? And if you say, I don't want anything, I want to do it on my own, I think it, that still becomes an amicable split, right? They, they know, hey, I, I can't provide any more for this guy. He's fucking fast-tracking. And actually, that was very similar experience to me getting out of my previous life. My corporate gig is... I sat down with my boss who was ready to fucking give me the world, like relative to what was available to me in this corporate environment. And he's like, Can I change your mind with this, this, or this? And I'm like, No, I'm already, my mind's set. And he's like, Well, I, I wish you luck. Give me, do I have two weeks at least, or are you leaving tomorrow? You know, and I'm like, I'll give you four <laughs> weeks, buddy, uh, you know, and I'll help with transition. And it was just, you know, I know I could ring him today. And he'd, if I said, Hey, I w- I'm looking for an opportunity to get back into the fucking corporate jail. And push pencils, wear a tie, and smash on a keyboard all day, and shave every day, and get a haircut. Like he would, he would welcome me, but <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going back there. Tex, never go back there.
2: Yeah, just thinking, and I guess reflecting on experience, who's done this really well? Twelve Labors Group. Oh, yeah, Luke yeah. S.B., Ryan out of uh, Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, Nova area. So yeah, I guess that building that relationship, and then I guess Ryan started. CrossFit Annapolis and BWI and gradually kind of created a, uh, a network of gyms with SB. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. See, I'm, is that, but is that a marker? I mean, I guess it depends on what your business goals are. I, at, early on, I always thought multiple gyms meant success. Right. But I don't know if good, that is a question. Yeah. Right. And I guess it, dep- sure. It can be whatever the fuck you want it to be. Right. As long as you're not like walking a tightrope and ready to jump. Um, but I'll, I'll pass it off to you.
3: Yeah. So I I don't know about that specific example. I mean, there are certainly examples of where this is being done well in the industry right now. Um, and in the best cases, you look at kind of this, this hierarchy of coaching or mentorship where your athletes are coached, your coaches are coached by the owner, you know, on how to make more money, how to make a career. And then the owner is coached by somebody, a mentor. Um, but as far as like opening multiple locations goes, There are a few cases where it's being done well. The original location is completely locked on. They've got a 33% profit margin. The owner doesn't have to be there for at least a two-month stretch at a time. And so, um, you know, the business runs itself. They can go open a second location. They can duplicate their model. And it almost becomes like a franchisee model, right? Perfect. Great. Do it. But all too often what's happening is um, one gym will open up in a town they'll be making a little bit of money, you know, maybe they've got their hundred members, whatever. And I, you know, the owner is making like a thousand dollars a month and they think, well, this market's saturated. I'm going to open up a second location because this prime retail storefront just came open. And if I don't grab it, somebody else will. And what they've really done there is bought themselves two jobs. And uh, I think everybody in the audience knows what happens next. Both businesses crater, right? And that was almost me. Like our, our CrossFit and powerlifting gym, um, sucked so much money out of the personal training gym that it almost bankrupted both. So what we do is we give gyms a checklist. Are you ready to open a second location? Because this is a huge temptation right now. Um, you know, with some gyms going bankrupt and like they're sell, quote unquote, selling, you know, at like fire sale prices, owners look at that and they think, well, oh, there's an opportunity. Instead, what they should be saying is, Could I make more money and have a better life by taking my gym from a six to a seven instead of buying somebody else's mistakes and taking it from a two to a four? Or uh, am I, you know, where am I actually better off here? So basically, you need to have a 33% profit margin before you think about a second location. You need to be able to abdicate the running of your GM for at least two weeks. That means you're going to Disney World. You don't have a phone or email contact with your GM. Period. It runs itself for at least two weeks. And if you can't meet those two criteria, then the other eight items on the list don't matter. Fair enough. Yeah, that was kind of a rant, guys. Sorry about that. No, no that's what this shows all rants. About. It's just okay. a series of rants that are sometimes connected. <laughs> I mean, I get really passionate about that because a, a lot of coaches buy themselves a job by opening a gym. And then they ruin their life. And what happens is that all the people in their town are deprived of this amazing coach, because this person couldn't figure out how to run a business, where really, they should have been working for somebody else, coaching the hell out of people and changing lives. And a lot of business owners with a little tiny bit of success, they fall into this trap too. And they think, you know, Hey, I'm good at this, right? I'm out of the founder phase. I'm in the farmer phase. That guy's bankrupt. He sucks. I'm going to save his gym and they kill everything. And now you've got 200 people in your town. You had the opportunity to save their lives and that opportunity is gone. And they're back to, uh, you know, protein shakes and, and whatever, you know?
1: So along, along that lines of owners, owners, possibly biting off more than they can chew spreading too thin and things crumbling underneath them. Another cause that I've run into on the seminar circuit and personally for gyms really either going under or really fucking having to hit a reset is yeah. uh, a, a, a trainer or a manager's stealing, right? Just wow. someone feels entitled to it and they steal and right from under your nose. And maybe you're just a trusting fucking individual.
2: Like clients or cash?
1: Uh, no, cash. Ooh. Yeah, like rerouting payments, rerouting cash, um,
2: cash, shit like that. Membership. And I know
1: this, this comes down to, like, also filtering on the front end or creating an environment where someone feels as if they're flourishing and growing versus creating the n- perceived need to steal. And some people are just fucking asshole criminals, right? But, um... <laughs> I guess let's say you got an owner GM relationship, like, and I you know I, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, but ha- have you run around this and then what safeguards can you put in place as let's say a hands off owner to ensure that things are lining up and everything's on the straight and narrow?
3: Oh, wow. So first, um, people have to get paid because we are all good at justifying anything to ourselves, right? So I haven't seen this in a gym, but I know somebody just brought it up in a Facebook group last week where I have seen it is a retail environment. So for example, somebody will be a manager of a retail shop and they'll say, I'm underpaid. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sell myself these board shorts at cost. So there's, they're stealing the margin, right? The 50 bucks or whatever that the owner should have made. And then they start to justify themselves more like, holy shit, I worked all weekend and I didn't get paid any extra You know, by my math, the owner owes me about 400 bucks. So I'm going to take these new t-shirts. And it's funny how easy we slip into that. You know, we can justify anything to ourselves. So um, first, fire that person and call the police. Um, Second, uh, explain to your members that you can't disclose exactly what happened, but that they have to trust that this would be the last thing that you wanted. And you're making a very hard choice on their behalf. Um, and you can kind of allude to the fact that something serious went on. Went on. Um, and then after that, you have to look at yourself and say, what circumstance did I put this person in that, that would let them justify theft to themselves? You know, was I starving their family? And is that why they stole the bread? That's what you have to ask.
1: And it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about 10 and 15 minutes ago, creating a relationship or a dynamic where... That doesn't become an issue like th- things don't boil over. I mean, I, th- I think back to uh, wow. Chris, I'm, I'm just recently married and I've been dating my now wife for like 10 years. And I think back to our first fight was so fucking superficial, had nothing to do with what had happened, but what had led up to that, you know, shocker. Right. And uh, like we made this fucking pinky square and packed over over after we made up. I'm like, we cannot let anything boil over. Like if you're pissed off because I've waited too long to unload the fucking dishwasher, don't bury it. Just bitch at me right away. It's going to feel good. It's feel great. Like, I promise you, the things I'm doing to bother you are not on purpose. It's because I'm an idiot. Like I'm a dumb caveman. You know what I mean? So uh, and it, I think it's worked out well. You know, here we are. And she fucking she'll let you know if you're loading the dishwasher wrong.
2: (laughs) I loaded the dishwasher wrong. So,
1: Uh, yeah, I just got back from my honeymoon and Tex was watching the dogs in the house. And like the first thing she says, she comes home and is like cleaning up and poor fucking Tex. Like these dogs are so emo and probably don't listen to him. And like, uh, you know, he's picked us up from the airport at midnight. We got four hours, five hours of sleep. And text walk, we talk walk in the next morning after training. She's like, "Text. you can't load the dishwasher and stack two fucking bowls on top of one another. And ta- I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. It's not me. Like, you can talk to me like that. This a guy who just did us a huge favor and kept our dogs alive, which isn't that big of an accomplishment, but you did it.
2: And we're very thankful.
3: <laughs> With dirty balls, yeah. I mean, <laughs> 9 out of 10. Nice.
2: So let's get back to some questions from our Block 1 coaches. So we got Ryan McDowell. He's St. Louis Park, Minnesota, Max Mead Fitness, and he's inquiring about new memberships. Does he go and try to jumpstart stagnant leads, or is there a better solution for creating new leads?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, we have specific mentors for marketing at Two Brain, and these guys are amazing with Facebook ads. So they love Facebook ads, right? I suck at Facebook ads, but I really like writing. And so I tend to focus more on converting people who have indicated interest. And I really think this is the low hanging fruit for most gyms. Like, you know, most gyms are thinking, how can I target women aged 20 to 45 who have a disposable income and live within 10 miles of me on Facebook? What they should be thinking is, hey, I got this list of a thousand people who at one time said they were interested in my service. Like that to me seems like an easier win. So, yeah, I would go back to that list and I would say, hey, you know, Luke, are you still interested in pursuing your fitness? Yes or no. And uh, if they get back to me, now I've got a conversation and I can start coaching them to signing up. Um, that just seems like such an easy win instead of trying to figure out this entirely new skill set called lead generation. So what we actually teach is, you know, identify your, your best clients you're going to do affinity marketing on them. You're going to figure out like, hey, why doesn't Texas' wife actually come to the gym? She should. She doesn't you know? exist. Okay. Well, that's, that's why. Okay. So then we're going to say, um, why doesn't Texas coworkers come to the gym? You know, and what can we offer Luke, for example? Uh, we're going to start with that. Then we're going to start with the people who have already indicated interest. So like an email list, and then we would get into digital marketing from there. It's just a lot easier.
2: Okay, building off of that, we have Rob Xline. So he's Houston, Houston native, uh, CrossFit West Houston. So he asked client retention. So what are some small things you can do to keep clients engaged and uh, retain them? Community events, challenges, coach to member communication. This is some of his uh, bullet points there, but would love your guidance.
3: Yeah, so um, early on when i first got a mentor he was going through everything that i did and he said why do you have contracts at your gym and i said well if i didn't have contracts people would quit and he said let's say that i quit you going to take me to court and i said no 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 i you know i wouldn't uphold these contracts or anything they're just a threat and he said how about you stop making rules that you're not going to enforce and start thinking about how can i make people like me okay. and uh so okay, I'm going to stop, you know, thinking about going to court. So we started studying retention back in 2010, and um, I'd say that's kind of our specialty. But what it comes down to is you have to view your client relationship as an ongoing conversation. Um, you know, Luke, like you're just married. Your relationship with your wife is going to be different in 10 years than it is right now. It's going to be deeper. Um, you're going to uh, poop in front of each other. You know, and and that's only going to make things better. But it's not the relationship you had one week after you met her, right? When she was all you could think about, and and like you would starve yourself for two days to have good abs just in case this was the day you took your shirt off in front of her, right? So um, you need to make sure that you're continually having that conversation instead of letting the client guess. Like every single day, is is CrossFit is this gym what's best for me? So the most important thing that you can do is book conversations one-on-one with your clients and say, how are you doing? Are you happy with your progress here? The next thing that the client needs for retention, and this is based on research out of um, Carnegie Mellon is you need to show them how close they are to achieving something. So client comes in, they went from a hundred pound deadlift to a 200 pound deadlift in three months. They're like, I want a 500 pound deadlift by Christmas. I'm on track, right? Now, the three of us know that's never going to happen. Um, but we need to say to the client, like, okay, our two twenty five deadlift is an awesome goal because that's like two plates aside. And our goal is to hit that by Easter, you know? So they need to be very, very close to the next goal. Again, that comes back to a conversation. And then the last piece is that they have to perceive that they're being successful. Um, so Motivation comes from success, not from the other way around. You don't get fired up, go into the gym and become successful. That has never worked for anybody in the history of gyms. What has to happen on day one is you have to be good at something. You have to prove I can do this. Okay. So my first day on a bike this year, I was out with a local doctor and he says, you know, we're 10 K and he's like, how you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I feel good. And he's like, yeah, you're a fucking diesel. I hate you guys. You're always feeling good. And from then on, all summer, I've been like, yeah, I'm a diesel, man. I can go six hours at this. You need to feel like you're good at something. So in the gym environment, on the very first day, a catalyst, the coach says, hey, Luke, you're a really good deadlifter. Have you ever done this before? Or squatter, whatever that is. We have to find your bright spot. And then every single Friday at our gym, in you know every single client, 450 entrepreneurs around the world in the Two Brain uh, community, they say, "Here are my bright spots. Here's what I won at this week." And the point is that they're turning around, looking within, and saying, "I am winning. I'm being successful," and that's what keeps them motivated. All right. Nobody expected a 10 minute answer to retention, right? No, we love I, long answers. I, I was supposed to say, "Go to go to the pub every second Friday."
1: No, not at all. I in I think, you know, it's there's a. Tons of things you can do, but it comes down to again, like it's a stupid to answer, but you got to retain the like, the, why do people quit a gym? First off, let's scratch that itch, right? Why are you yeah. not retaining clients, right? And then, uh, but that's going to come back to a lot of the advice that you've already given find your 10 um evangelists and have those discussions, right? Or ask people what they're looking for and then determine whether or not it fits in your model. Like, these are just I feel like it's blocking and tackling, but we have to like create the system for folks to follow kind of a checklist approach and then reassure folks that they're being successful because we are in a lot of the or maybe it's not an entrepreneurial thing, but it feels like you can always do more. Like there's more. I should be able to do more. I'm not I'm not achieving. I'm not achieving. I'm not achieving. And sure, that's a great way to continually drive growth. But I guess a little bit of reflection and looking back and saying, all right, well, I've hit this milestone, this milestone, this milestone. I guess I am going the fucking right direction. Let's still go do more because that's just the mindset, right? More, more, more.
3: Yeah, you nailed it, man. Uh, People overestimate what they can do in a day and they underestimate what they can do in a year. So when you're in your own head, it doesn't seem like you're actually making progress unless somebody says, you're making progress. Right, right. You know? Yeah. What else
1: we got, Tex?
2: We got a lot of good questions. We'll keep them rolling. This is Andrew Romeo, Enfield, Connecticut, CrossFit Revelation. So he asked, what are the best methods for developing corporate contracts or getting into the corporate wellness in your
3: community? Man, what a great question. And that's a great gym name, by the way, too. So the best thing to do is look at your current clients and ask yourself, who works at one of these corporations that I'm trying to get into? Okay, and then you bring that client in and you say, Andrew, you know, are you? Uh, Are you having a good time? Are you making progress towards your goals? All right. And Andrew says, yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty well. And you say, that's fantastic. Um, Andrew, as a thank you for being such an amazing client, I know this is a stressful time at work for you. How many people are in your office? Well, there's like 20 other accountants working in the accounts payable department. Okay. Well, it's April. I know the tax season is coming up. This must be stressful for you. As a thank you, what I'd love to do is invite everybody in your department over to the gym Thursday night. We're going to bring in a case of beer. We're bringing a box of the finest box wine I can buy. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do a little team building workout just to blow off some stress. Do you think that would help your team? So what it always comes back to is like knowing what the corporation actually needs, what they want and knowing how you can serve them. And it's not selling CrossFit.
2: Right. Andrew also asks, what are some success? What are the most successful micro gyms doing different than the average micro gym?
3: Um, I think it's starting with the end in mind, really. Um, you know, I talked to two gyms last week. One has 40 members. One has 400 members. The one with 40 members, the guy, you know, he's working about a 30-hour work week, taking home four or five thousand dollars every month. The guy with 400 members has three partners and isn't making a cent, but working all the hours. You know, so what are they doing? They're starting by asking themselves, "What do I want in life?" Then, "How can my business provide that for me?" And then they start doing math. And, um, usually I can't do that on my own. So I have a mentor. Right. There's, there's no secret guys. It's not like, Oh, here it is. They're using better t-shirts, you know? Oh, it's, it's uh, Cliff, not fit aid that, you know, that's the biggest mistake. <laughs> it's, it's not forest scrubbers. It's not whether you allow dogs in your gym. None of that shit matters. It's knowing where you want to go. Kind of like fitness.
1: Right. Yep. Set a goal and go
2: crazy.
3: Mm-hmm. Weird. I know.
2: All right, so I'm going to leave this coach anonymous because I don't want any repercussion here. And this may be a tough question for us to go to, but we are the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, and we have to go here. Yes, okay. So the gym owner asks, "What trends do you see in the CrossFit world currently? Is it safe to stay with the brand? Should I consider rebranding? Gym closing? What?" can I prepare? Should I be preparing for in the near future?
3: Um, Stay with the brand. I mean, you know, CrossFit, you can use the word CrossFit for $3,000 a year. This is now the preeminent brand in the world, like the biggest brand, the most recognizable it's on TV. Okay. And you can use it any way you want. You know, you want to put, CrossFit catalyst, fuck you on a t-shirt. You can do that. You want to put unicorns on? That's fine. You want to charge a thousand dollars a month? You want to charge $10 a month? It's fine. You can do that, right? Unless you have a better idea for a brand that's going to get you on ESPN, sponsored by Reebok, in front of millions of people every, the first of every August, um, stick with the one that works, you know? Some people think they do have a better idea. Some people think that, oh, people are scared of CrossFit or I can do this better on my own. That's cool, you know, go for it. Um, but until you have that better idea, stick with what works.
1: Yeah, and I guess, you know, it goes back to what you're talking about. Do the math, yeah. you're gonna need, you know, is the, what is the, what is the licensing fee now? Is it 3,000? I think
3: it's 3,000 still, yeah. Let's say I mean, it's I'm five, at like a thousand bucks. Yeah, That's let's say crazy. It's five,
1: let's say it's 5,000, right? Um, is the annual five thousand dollars what's the the problem, right? And um, I, you know, I don't know. And you can fly two flags as well if the if you wanted A B your marketing and split test and see whatever you. I don't know, man. I guess. Sure. I just think that's an easy problem to create. Is the CrossFit stuff, right? I've yeah. got no. We had a we had a falling out with the, the HQ side of things, but the lower level, the low. F- the the actual affiliates out there, man. It, I don't know if there's a better option. If you yeah. need that that style of training, right? If you want to go into a group class, and you know, I uh, it's funny, my, I. Wife's sister, I forget what, this is ages ago. She's like, man, I'm just trying to meet a guy. I'm like, join a fucking CrossFit gym. You want to, I mean, the most, the hottest dating market, the best networking. You need to find a fucking mechanic. Like, every CrossFit gym has a mechanic at least one degree of separation away. Like, dude, it's a micro network that allows you, if you're a new individual in a a neighborhood or you just recently moved and you're active, it's a great way to fucking network. It's, you know, make sure you find the right gym you, you blend with, but... So I I guess the moral of the story is I'm not fucking bashing CrossFit, Um, even though we are falling out with them. It's just what could possibly go wrong? Let's think worst case scenario. You're a CrossFit gym, right? Yeah. it goes away and then you're fucking, I don't know, this business model is not going to go away. I think this boutique kind of small micro community gym based lifestyle deal is here for the foreseeable future, right?
3: Yeah. There's, there is, there was a trend toward de maybe around a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, quickly what happened with these guys, and I won't tell you where I got the statistics is six months later, they were all out of business anyway, because they weren't running a good business. You know, in a couple of rare cases, the owner was a dick and nobody liked them, but they all blamed the brand anyway. So if you come, if you drive past the road, you know, past catalyst, you're going to see catalyst fitness, CrossFit on our gigantic sign. Now, some people who come in, they want to do CrossFit, but they don't want to do group fitness training. Cool. Personal training is here and it costs about, you know, 250% more. Uh, You can do CrossFit one-on-one with me. Some of our clients are 85 years old and they say, oh, I'd never do CrossFit. You know, that's, that's crazy. I'll get hurt. What's this workout called again, Diane? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. It, so the semantics are not what's making your business crater. I mean, that's the last place you should look If CrossFit in some of these cases is like the only thing the business has going for it. Right. So yeah,
1: anyway. more often than not.
2: Have you seen gyms create kind of, I guess, boot camps or yoga offer yoga or sure. spin or other things like that to help create new leads or, you know, make people not scared of a barbell. I think that's one of the challenges of power athlete is hey.
3: Nothing wrong with the barbell. Yeah, sure, man. I mean, it, it really comes down to who you want to serve. So if um if I want to serve power athletes, power athlete is the, the best name in the universe, you know. Um if I want to serve 60-year-old women who uh need to learn how to squat so that they're not confined to a retirement home in the next 10 years, um, then I might offer a program that's called Don't pee your pants, you know, whatever, you know, and you could say powered by Power Athlete HQ, call it whatever you want, you know? So your overall brand stays the same. You might run a a program with a different name depending on your audience, though. Sure.
1: In the gym space, in terms of diversifying the offering in that way and maybe segmenting a seemingly identical product, right, but branding it uh, appropriately to get a different audience, is there a... do you need a certain amount of bandwidth to manage that, right? Or running like concurrent? I guess first there's like the 3P model, like practical. Do you have the logistical space and coach? Head, if you want to do like a concurrent class or a weightlifting class and then a mm. yoga class and then a CrossFit class, right? So segmenting these service items, I guess it's a bandwidth issue, isn't it? Like or you have to evaluate whether or not you yeah. can scale appropriately and still maintain, stay on track with that goal that you set when you fucking opened your gym, right?
3: Yeah, you know, Luke, I'm really glad you brought this up because one of the the biggest mistakes that people took away from the original Two Brain Business book was that they needed like 17 different streams of revenue. Mm -hmm. So they had to be running all these things at once. And the reason that that's in the book is because at the time, everybody was only running group classes. So I said, you need to have two or three things. Here's a list of 30. And many gym owners took that to mean, I need to have 30 things. So while I was just trying to pull the pendulum back to center, now it's kind of gone the other way. So for a gym owner in the founder phase, we say you need to be really amazing at three things. You need a one-on-one option, you need a nutrition coaching option, and you need a group class option. If you're calling it CrossFit, wonderful. If you're not, fine, that's fine. But you need to be amazing at those three things first, You need to get paying yourself before you add anything else. When you get into the farmer phase, now you look at your staff and you say, how do I make a meaningful career for you on this platform that I've created for myself? So, uh, you know, here's here's a client or here's a staff person and she loves working with kids. That's the reason to start a kids program is to build a career for that coach. It's not because I think I can make dozens of dollars a month by having a kids program, you know, um, I've got a, a coach. This is how Ignite actually started. This guy was a teacher. He said, get me the hell out of the school board. I'm going to help kids with autism through, uh, you know, high intensity interval training, launch the Ignite program. You know, within a couple of years, the program is doing $100,000 a year, but that's where it came from. So, yeah, wait, get in the farmer phase, get paying yourself, get amazing at, at getting clients and selling and keeping clients in personal training group classes and nutrition before you start getting into guitar lessons.
1: And then how long would you say it should take to determine whether or not those guitar lessons are, are going to be a profit profitable or valuable component to your, uh, to your bottom line, right? Because even though if you were to evaluate that segment as a individual business unit, there may be residual benefits from offering that at, a lower margin, right? It may pad some other area
3: of the business. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, great example. Um, So it's not really a matter of time. Like it's more like, are you so good at selling these core products that you're making a profit already? If you are, then you're good enough to start selling other products. Um, Great example. The best workout tracking app in the world is Strava. It's not in the CrossFit market at all. I don't know if you guys have seen Strava, whatever, but it's, it's for cyclists. So I could go on Strava and I could say, hey guys, I've got this um, cyclist off-season boot camp starting in October. And I could sign people up for that knowing that these are actually the, the people that I want, right? These, these guys spend $5,000 on a bicycle, they know how to train intensely, they know how to train with a group. Perfect, I want them in my group classes. And so maybe I offer like a bike training program to bring them into my gym and then just show them surprise. You've been doing CrossFit this whole time.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah,
3: Yeah. But until you're amazing at selling those first three things.
1: Yeah. You're not going to convert any other
3: lead opportunity, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to write that down. You said that way better than I did. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know what I said. It blacked out.
2: Let's let's get back to something (laughs) you said earlier that really jumped out to me. So who you,
1: me burn the gym down burn it down <laughs> bitches
2: no chris chris said something intelligent oh sorry um it's, it's working so i believe it was working on the in the gym not on the business working in the business not on the business something along those lines and one of the things i've loved to grow uh talk about with one of our partners train heroic is they give the coach one of their missions is to give the coach the opportunity to kind of grow their their life right instead of working right. spreadsheets makes programming easier, frees you up for more family time. So awesome. what are some things, I guess, uh, guidance that you can give that business owner who's working nearly every class, he's doing the mop, he's doing everything. I know Freddie Camacho mop- still mops his own gym at GFY, but that's like his beer time, so we'll give it to him.
1: Yeah, but, he mops uh, and drinks 12 beers. It's, I mean, he, he a drinks great and mops strategy, <laughs> Block out you don't remember.
2: Um, so what are things like that that you you were in the struggle, you were in the fight, but now it's just like, hey, man, if I just took one breath, one look at this to really free yourself up to increase your quality of life.
3: Yeah. So we tell people to calculate their effective hourly rate. You know, what's your time actually worth? And, and entrepreneurs, especially in the founder phase are scared to do this because they're saying, well, I'm making about $11 an hour and minimum wage at McDonald's up the street is about 14. And I don't want to feel like, I'm worth less than McDonald's, you know, so they don't do it. But what they need to do is calculate what their time is actually worth right now, today, and then say, what is the cheapest role that I can replace myself in? So, you know, Freddie is a hero. I read his blog, uh, you know, back in like 05. And I want I want to say that for me, cleaning the gym was the lowest value use of my time.
1: Yeah, fuck that.
3: I, you know, I could hire somebody for minimum wage to clean catalyst and I would buy myself eight hours a week of time that I could use on sales, marketing, developing these new programs, you know, and then you kind of work up the value ladder from there. And, you know, even today I calculate my effective hourly rate. If, if something is going to drive less than about $1,100 an hour, I don't do it. And it, but it takes a mentor getting on the phone with me every month and saying, why are you doing that shit? You know?
1: So you hear that, people? This podcast generates $1,100 an hour.
3: That's what they're paying me. <laughs> yep. <Just> <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Luke, anything coming to mind? I got some yeah. more here I just want to formulate. I don't know. Nothing off the top of my head. Well, what are some challenges that you faced uh, besides firing John mm-hmm. so way fired, back in your GM yeah, days? Yeah, day
1: one, I had to fire a trainer. Day 20, fired John. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I was thrown into the fucking hopper. But hey, I... I'm but, one of the, I feel as if I'm one of those individuals that thrives in that environment where if you, if you turn up the heat, baby, I'm going to, I'll dance, I'll do whatever I got to do.
3: So. that's rare. That's rare. You yeah, know, I think there million, are a lot, baby. I think there are a lot of GMs out there who wouldn't take that step, who wouldn't have the, the balls basically, you know, um, to fire the owner. And, uh, I'm lucky that I do have that now, but in the past when, when I've had a GM would just kind of say okay Chris okay Chris okay Chris it actually hurt my business because I Mm -hmm. was in the way
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so I guess reflecting on experience again uh, Luke walked into an already member filled gym yeah but then my Mm -hmm. experience was starting from zero so I guess maybe that was a little bit different I was able to I don't know our community was built from one to two to 10 to 20 to 40 to, and capped at I like sure 60 it wasn't ever big. Mm-hmm. So what advice is, are the principles the same for somebody that's create starting from scratch as into walking in and attempting to change or hit the ground running with a culture?
3: No, very different. I mean, a lot of the time when you come into the culture and you've been hired to take it to the next level, you have to realize that the people that got you to this level are not the same ones who are going to get you to the next level. And that could be clients. It could be coaches, but you basically have to fix some problems, you know? And in some cases you're looking at surgery when you're starting from scratch. That is the best opportunity to actually get the best clients and get those pebbles out of your shoe before they become a problem. You know, it's, we work with gyms who've been in business for 10 years and they're still in the founder phase. They're not making any money they basically held this volunteer position for a decade and they think their business is successful because they've got a hundred people who will do everything they say every single day, but it's not successful because it's not sustainable. They have to go get a part-time job mowing lawns. You know, they're, they're sleeping on a couch in the gym. Um, that's not sustainable. So your best opportunity from the get-go is to learn how to do it right instead of trying to solve problems later, that's when it really gets expensive.
1: So Chris, what he's telling us is, or what Chris is telling us, text that I had it much harder than you did. And you were on a fucking easy street, bro. And you're out there just, (laughs) you know, dancing around DuPont circle with your shirt off, drinking Uh, yinglings with all your bros having a great time while I'm fucking slugging it out in Southern California under the bright sun in this constant perpetual 70 degree weather with slight ocean breeze from the West, (laughs) just literally in the trenches. That's what, that's what our, our guest has just told us.
2: Yeah. Let's just say Eric Peterson made life (laughs) much easier. Who is because one of our rock star, clientele chris never forget John, nice. he's he's made a, a great impression on mm-hmm. john's john's heart yes for sure he, Glitter uh, bomb. yeah worked worked out and i guess uh glitter shorts and yeah supplied cali with a lot of glitter <laughs> um let's see here we got a question from from teddy up in madison wisconsin if people are the art this is some pieces from your book chris if people are the art business is the science and combining the two is technology. As Chris says in his book, how do we as business owners prioritize and delineate time spent on people versus time spent on the business?
3: Jesus. Um, yeah, Chris. Well, I'm flattered when people <laughs> quote the book back to me um, that I last looked at six years ago. You know, <laughs> So I, I'm just trying to put myself in that frame of mind. But the answer is, you know, we're in the service business and you have to ask yourself, like, do I have people problems or do I have process problems? You know, can I serve people to the level that I want with the systems that I have? And I would love to be the mayor of my gym. You know, I would love to go in my gym every single day, hug every single person. They all show up. They all show up on time. I give them really good hugs and that's not going to happen. What I have to make sure is that everybody gets hugged every day, that people have a relationship with my brand instead of just with me, or I'm never going to actually have a business. I'm just going to have a a kissing booth, you know?
1: And I guess on that that note, Chris, is it goes back to personnel as well and that your folks are on brand, right? Exactly. Um, Or I guess create even understanding what your brand is. What do you do? What can you and then make sure that it's a, you know, not necessarily like a franchise model. I think every coach should have their own flavor, right? But uh, people just need to be on brand, and it's something that we we talk about when we were developing. Are really trying to refine and scale our seminar series, and I I would call it managing the experience, but it's creating a consistent experience that provides the same result on the back end. Regardless of who your staff is on the road, we need to manage that experience, and that was the brand, the experience of our seminar. And I think that why that filtered down from the CrossFit football deal into every one of our classes is you got that experience, but every coach brought their own unique personality, and that's why we had great retention. I mean, we had a tremendous retention, uh, from our, I would say our top 50, right. That had been there for like six years. And then you'd see churn and a lot of the churn and, uh, reason codes were had to do with relocation, right? Southern California can be a a pretty transient place for young professionals. They come in and then they find a different area and they want to move up the beach to Venice or down to San Diego or something like that. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Like if you are your brand and you are the owner, and your coaches are nothing but people to give you time off, that should be a red flag,
3: right? Yeah, so maybe a better answer is that you have to evolve as a leader as your business grows. And I'm really bad at this, so I can give you guys good examples. So in the founder phase, you're the brand, and everybody gets, treat- everybody gets hugged because that's your value, right? When you move into the farmer phase and you start hiring staff, if you're not amazing at teaching those values to your staff, they're not going to know to hug everybody. So here's a great example. And our friend Jeff Smith kind of kicked my ass on this this week. He goes, Coop, I know that Two Brains' mission is to serve a million entrepreneurs and that's how we're going to change the world. Some of the other mentors don't know that. And so the questions that they're asking are not, um, They're not bad questions. It's because they don't understand the vision. And so what I had to do was uh, do a live video call with all the mentors and say, by the way, guys, we're going to serve a million entrepreneurs here in the next 10 years. And here's exactly how we're going to do it. And after that call, uh, everybody was on point. Now they know the mission. But what I thought was everybody just knows that because I knew it. You know, we project knowledge onto everybody. So hopefully that answers the question a little bit better than I did in like 2012.
1: We got anything else, big guy. No, we don't. And that is it. Great. Chris, dude, thank you for the chat. I hope you had a good time. I hope we, uh, you know, we fulfilled that value, that hourly value stream that you, <laughs> uh, you Absolutely. have for yourself, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. And, and, and Chris, if people wanted to like poke around and see what, what you have to offer, either personally or with the org, where do you want to point them? Do you have you know your own social platform or do you want to send them to the company? Where do you want them to go?
3: Um, I want them to take the test, figure out what should they be doing right now. So go to 2brain.com forward slash test. And that's going to tell you if you're in the founder phase, farmer phase, tinker phase or thief phase and exactly what you should be doing right now, step-by-step.
1: Step. Boom. People, all the answers are out there. You just need to know where to to look. And if you're not turning stones over, what are you doing? Probably just sitting there, playing Fortnite, wasting your time, like text. Man, I've never seen someone play so much Fortnite.
2: I don't even know what that is.
1: <laughs> I couldn't even finish the sentence. Uh, all right, thanks. <laughs> thanks for your time, Kupan. And uh, thank you, people, for listening. All right, talk to you later. Bye.
0: It's time for you to empower your performance. Chris Cooper wants you to take a test. Go to twobrain.com backslash test to find out which of the following category you fall into founder, farmer, tinker, or thief. You can also find his book on Amazon. Simply search the title two brain business. And now for another installment of why you should attend the Power Athlete Symposium on December 7th, 8th, and 9th in Austin, Texas. The Wades Army Silent Auction. Every year, our generous contributors provide some epic prizes and experiences to choose from. Here's how it works you basically get liquored up, you walk around placing a few bids with some newly lowered inhibitions, and you see what falls in your lap. It's how Tex meets women on the weekend, and about 40% of the time, it actually works. If you like those odds, then you will love the Waits Army Silent Auction. Two years ago, I won a two-day one-on-one firearm class with the guys from Soft Fleet, and it was amazing. Truly, truly epic. I have a bit of an inside scoop on some of the items that will be on display this year, and let me tell you, it will be a year like no other. I guarantee it. Until next time, bye! Bye!